You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Family, as always, it's a blessing to be able to get into the Word of God together. I am particularly excited today as we begin our series on the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, If you do have a Bible, if you want to use your phone or whatever device you have, you can go to Matthew chapter, sorry, Matthew, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. We'll get there in a little bit. We'll have to, we'll take a stop in chapter 3 before we actually start reading uh, those verses. So like I said, we're starting a new sermon series today. One of the things that I wanted to point out, as some of you already are aware of, our family of churches is sending out a new church plant uh, towards the end of this year or at some point this year. It will be Citizens Church going to Charlotte, North Carolina. We're extremely excited about that. We have people from every church in our family of churches that are joining in that uh, church plant. And being a, a fairly young church plant ourselves, that is something that is very near and dear to my heart. We, we thought it would be good to use this opportunity to just simply teach on what is the church to be? Who, who is the church? What, what does it mean to be the church? And we get a great example of this in 1 Timothy, which we will be working through for the next handful of weeks. One of the things that we want to do is equip you as much as possible to be able to study the Word of God. You can go to midtown2notch.com slash teaching, which, where you can always find our sermons uh, current and past. Uh, and at the same time, if you click on the graphic, that is there that just says, that's under the title, Latest Sermon. It will send you to our sermon page where you can click on a button that says First Timothy Resources, where we have a ton of resources that are available to you uh, to help you in your time studying the Word as we work through the book of First Timothy together. We don't want it to just be a thing that we work through on Sunday mornings, but we want you to work through it throughout the week. So in these resources that we have available for you, you'll find a daily scripture reading guide with, with, with discussion questions or maybe uh, questions for observation uh, and application that you'll find there. You'll also find just some inductive Bible study tips in case you are new at studying the Bible, you want to learn and grow in being a student of God's Word. We have a lot of things available to you there. I really want to encourage you uh, to not only check it out, but participate in it and work through the different days of the week that you see there in that guide. This book of 1 Timothy is written to a young pastor uh, named Timothy, obviously, who the book is titled after. But it is not just helpful for pastors. It is helpful for the entire church. The, The Apostle Paul tells us the purpose of this letter about halfway through the letter in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I'll read through I'll read through those. The Apostle Paul writes: I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm writing this letter to you so that the church knows how to be the church. The purpose of this letter is the same purpose for which we are going through it, that we might know how to live and function as the people of God, as the church. The word church in the Bible is the Greek term ecclesia, which means basically the called out and gathered ones, that we are those that are called out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom. And we are gathered together by our God into a family to be the people that he has called us to be. He has set us apart for his purposes. 
Paul wants the church to know how to live out this new collective identity that we have together. We're not just a group of, we're not just individuals, but we are a group together living in the way that God has called us to live. I want us to note specifically what Paul writes at the end of verse 15, where he says, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. A pillar and buttress of the truth. A buttress is a structure made of stone or brick that sticks out from and supports a wall or a building. And a pillar, obviously, is a strong column, oftentimes made of stone, that holds up the building. So Paul is saying that the church is to hold up the truth and support the truth. That defending and holding up the truth is a part of who the church is. Notice that Paul does not say a truth, but instead he says the truth. There's a specific truth that he is referring to that the people of God are to hold up. We hold up the truth of God's word as God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. We as a church are to be those who hold up, who believe, who embrace, who who study, who teach, who apply, who meditate on, and who defend and contend for the truth found in the word of God. So to be clear, As a church, we are not living out who we were created to be if we aren't believing and embracing and defending the word of God and contending for and fighting for the truth. If we aren't doing that, that's like saying we're a grocery store that doesn't have food. It's like saying we're a basketball team that doesn't play basketball. If we are to be the church, then we are to be a people that believe the truth, that embrace it, that hold it up, that support it, and that contend for the truth. We're to be a pillar and a buttress for the truth. Anything that is a contradiction of the church's design, the church's makeup, and the church's intended function. And we see that Paul is going to give instruction to the church to defend and support the truth from the beginning of the letter. So let's work through the first few verses. I'll just read verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to to teach any different doctrine. All right, so let's pause right here. So we got Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy is a a disciple of Paul. Paul has trained him up in the ministry, and Timothy had become like a son to Paul, and Paul had become like a father to Timothy. These were two men who had done much ministry and work together. They had planted churches together, and one of the churches that they planted was the church at Ephesus, where Timothy is currently located. It's actually a pretty crazy story. We'll get to it in the scripture reading for this week, but it's in Acts chapter 19 if you want to read through it on your own. But at some point later, Paul either sent Timothy to Ephesus or he left Timothy in Ephesus to pastor the church there. And he starts his letter by verse one. He identifies himself. He identifies who he is. He's an apostle of God. He goes on in verse two and stating who the letter is to, which is obviously Timothy. And he wishes grace and mercy and peace from God to Timothy. So these are very common things that Paul, we see, we see Paul doing in his letters. And then he gets into what he really wants to talk about in verse three which is, Timothy, just like I said before, 
when I was going to Macedonia, stay at Ephesus and tell these people they need to stop teaching these different doctrines. Now, a doctrine is a belief or maybe a set of beliefs that people hold or, or ascribe to. So these people are teaching beliefs and ways of thinking that, are, that go against the truth of God's word. The church is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth, and these people are going against that with their wrong doctrines. So he says to charge them. The Greek word there means command. Let them know, hey, this is not going to be tolerated. This is not okay in the church, which is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Paul's saying here, we defend the truth. We teach the truth. Those who are teaching different and false doctrines need to be commanded to stop. In fact, this is such a big deal that even though Paul starts the letter by calling them certain persons, he circles back in verses 19 and 20 and calls them out by name. He calls out those who are teaching false doctrines by name in verse 19 and verse 20, where he says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. He's saying, in case you were wondering who I'm talking about, these are the two gentlemen that you need to tell to be quiet. Okay, so think about this. You're a member of the church in Ephesus. You probably remember Paul because this letter was written not too long after he was there. Maybe he's like a father figure to others who were there, but definitely he's esteemed, he's looked up to. And they finally get a letter from Paul giving them instruction on what it is to be the church. I, I imagine they're gathered together in a room and they're excited and someone, potentially Timothy, is standing up and reading the letter to the entire congregation, which is usually what would happen when they would get letters from Paul. And Paul does, does his normal greeting. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm writing this to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, tell those people who teach those false doctrines to be quiet. I imagine that it's getting pretty awkward at this point. They're looking around. Okay, well, who, who are these people that are teaching these, these false doctrines? And then a few verses later, Paul goes on to clear it up. And he says, I'm talking about Hymenaeus and Alexander. How awkward would this have been? How strange and even though it's awkward, Paul sees the need to do this. And he says that these two have shipwrecked their faith. Paul is saying, family, this is important, so important that I'm going to call them out by name and I'm going to call out the specific false doctrine that is being taught. And let's look and read as he continues in verses three through seven. As I urged you when I, was at, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. This is a key verse in verse 5. We'll come back to this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from, that is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. We'll talk about this more next week, but the false teaching specifically has to do with aspects of Jewish fables and stories and genealogies of Israelite kings, probably not stuff that we're sitting around wondering about when we're in quarantine these days. Probably not the type of false teaching that we are being led astray by or most susceptible to from our culture today. But I want to be abundantly clear. 
we deal with people teaching false doctrines all the time. All the time. I'm not just talking about the person on TV that you see that's preaching that just wants you to send them, send them your money so, and then they promise you healing or prosperity or whatever it is. But I'm saying there, there are false doctrines being taught in our culture all the time today. I'm talking about on a daily basis, anytime you hear something that is in opposition to the truth of God's word. I'm talking about things that sound really, really good at first, but when you look a little closer, you find out that it actually doesn't line up with the word of God. I personally believe that we receive more false doctrine today than the church in Ephesus was receiving because that back then, in order for you to hear some type of doctrine, you actually had to be in the presence of the one who was speaking. When right now the device that you are listening to this and watching this on, you can scroll for 10 seconds probably and find multiple false doctrines that are being taught and that are being proclaimed in our world today. A simple scroll through Instagram, a Netflix show, a podcast, a song, or a book can teach you false doctrine. Every type of media you consume is preaching a sermon. It's telling you a story about life and where joy and satisfaction and contentment and delight are found and also where those things are not found. And this is crucial to understand that these things are false doctrines because the Bible is very clear about where those things are actually found. So anytime you're consuming some type of media and they are, they are pushing or enforcing or supporting a worldview that, that is different from where the Bible says true joy, true life, true contentment is found, you are actually listening to a story that is pushing a false doctrine into our culture. The media we consume is telling you a story about the world, how things work, how things should work, how things shouldn't work, what is right, what is wrong, what is fair and what is not fair, what is just and what is not just. We are constantly bombarded with false doctrine, telling us what we should think and what we should believe and how we should live. And oftentimes, without even realizing it, it seeps its way into our minds, into our hearts and into the church that is supposed to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Look at what happened to the false teachers and their faith in verse 19 again. It says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Their faith has suffered some form of tragic damage. I've seen this happen with Christians before. Initially, I believe oftentimes we, we, we view it as, hey, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not on good terms with God right now, and, and so I'm not really walking with him right now, or I'm really disappointed with God right now, so I'm not following him as I used to. Or I no longer believe that God is good, or oftentimes we get really angry and bitter towards God and maybe walk away from the faith completely. But when I've seen this happen, generally speaking, it is a result of false doctrine, that they ended up believing, that they embraced, and now has shipwrecked their faith. I want to try to give an example. Someone that I, or actually multiple people, I should say, have desired and asked God to give them something that they've been wanting for a long time. 
So they've been praying about this thing, asking God about this thing. And somewhere along the way, they began to believe that if they just lived up to a certain standard, that if they just followed God enough, if they prayed hard enough, if they did enough good things to show God that they are really serious about following him this time, then God would give them the thing that they want. Maybe it's a certain standard of living. Maybe it's a level of success, maybe in a career path or educationally that they've been seeking. Maybe it's a relationship that they want. And they believe, hey, God, I followed you, so I'm now expecting you to give me this. They have embraced a false doctrine. And now there is great disappointment, oftentimes anger and sometimes resentment against God because God is not doing the thing that he never promised that he would do. But because they embraced a false doctrine, they had an expectation on God that they should have never had of him. And now it has shipwrecked their faith. Now they're asking themselves, can I continue and still believe in this God who has not given me this thing that I feel like he owed me. Oftentimes they talk about it as if, hey, I'm just, I'm disappointed with God. I got anger with God and they don't identify. It's because the enemy or the world slipped you a false doctrine and you took it because it sounded good. And one of the important things to remember is that this is bigger than any of us individually. Because in 2 Timothy, Paul calls out the same brother, Hymenaeus, and at that time he says that his false doctrine is spreading like gangrene within the church. If you were with us last week, I talked about gangrene just a little bit. It is the, the spreading of death inside cells and tissues, oftentimes due to an infection. He's saying that this false teaching is spreading throughout the church. So when we allow ourselves to believe false doctrines, false truths, things that go against the word of God, it's not just harming us. It doesn't just have the potential to shipwreck our faith, but it has the potential to spread to others as well. And that is, in fact, often what it does. False doctrines can devastate the church because the church is supposed to be a buttress and pillar of the truth. So when we embrace things that are false or when we allow false teaching to go on within the church, it puts the church in danger. Yet still, to many in our society today, it seems like Paul is being a bit extreme, right? I mean, Paul, you didn't have to call him out by name. You didn't have to call out exactly what they were saying in front of the whole church, You don't have to command Timothy in front of the whole church to tell them to be quiet. Isn't that a bit much? Isn't that a bit extreme, Paul? Like, come on, Paul, it's not that big of a deal, right? Aren't you being closed-minded? Honestly, Paul, you're starting to sound a little bit like a bigot, right? Paul, I can't believe you would shame them like that. I can't believe we're wasting time arguing over doctrine. Shouldn't we just be focusing on loving people? Like, like Paul, don't overcomplicate this. This is just about loving God and loving people. Why are you getting into defending against these doctrines that are being taught? I think some might feel this way as we walk through the book of 1 Timothy as a whole. In our time in this book, Paul is going to bring up some pretty uncomfortable stuff. He's going to talk about authority within the church. He's going to talk about money and wealth. He's going to talk about gender and gender roles. And as a church, we're not going to skate around any of it. 
We're not going to skate around any of it. Why? Because we are to be a pillar and a buttress for the truth. Holding up and supporting and contending and defending the truth is what we do as the church. Because that's who we are. That is who he created us to be. One of the things that we need to make sure we understand is that the truth is worth fighting for because the church is worth fighting for. Because the glory and fame of Jesus is worth fighting for. We have to understand that Jesus says that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And I think some of us will be a lot quicker to defend Jesus' character. Like if someone were to come and say that Jesus wasn't loving or that Jesus wasn't gracious or Jesus wasn't righteous or, or, or anything like that, I think many of us, will, we will be okay with correcting someone on those things specifically, but on other doctrines of the faith that we see clearly outlined in Scripture, maybe those that make others, un, that make others uncomfortable, maybe we're a little bit slower to defend those. As if we can separate the living, word, the living, breathing word of God, Jesus Christ himself, from the written word of God. As if the entirety of scripture itself doesn't unite seamlessly with Christ and his character and who he is. Jesus is the truth. His word is truth. We feel as though we can separate doctrines of, the word, of his word from him and his character and who he is. But Jesus is the living, breathing word of God. So to not contend for the word of God is to not contend for Jesus himself because everything that he is is seamlessly consistent with the entirety of Scripture. Hear me out on this. This is something that we, I think we need to be settled on if we're going to contend for the truth and fight against false doctrine as we should. Jesus is glorious. He's what our hearts truly desire. He and he alone can fulfill us and give us true eternal joy and happiness in him. He left heaven. He became a man. He put on flesh. He could have, he could have easily remained in heaven where there was no harm or no, no physical harm or sickness that he would have ever experienced. But instead he came down, he put on flesh like one of us. He was loving to all, to everyone while he was on the earth, to the rich, to the poor, to those who were highly esteemed, to those who were very lowly in the earth. He never once sinned against anyone. He was near and cared for the downtrodden. He befriended the rich, befriended the poor. As we talked about last week, he rid people of their, ailments, of their ailments and their sicknesses. He was condemned on the Roman cross after taking our sin upon himself, and he died so that the penalty for sin was satisfied, so that all who believed in him would have eternal life and no longer be bound by sin and guilt and shame. And he is coming back for us, for his people, to take us to be with him, that we might live with him forever, free from sin, free from death, free from everything that ails us. He took our ailments and our sufferings and our sin onto himself so that he might free us from those. He is the most gracious, the most loving, the most merciful, the most kind and compassionate and caring, the most just, the most righteous, the most honest being to ever walk the earth. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, he's the resurrection, he's the light of the world, he's the bread of life. 
He is the Prince of Peace. And hear me on this. Anytime that we shrink back from contending the truth of God's word, we are believing that we should intentionally mask him from others because we don't think that he is good enough in and of himself and the way that he actually is. So we believe that we have to present an edited version of him to the world. He is the most glorious being to ever walk the earth in all of the universe. He is supreme. He is ultimate. And when we feel like we should not contend for the doctrines of the Bible, what's actually happening oftentimes deep in our hearts is that we're believing that he's not good enough as he is to present him to the world as he actually is. That we need to sand off some of Jesus's rough edges that we need to not let people see or we need to shrink back from the things that he might say or the things about his character that people might not want to hear. When the church decides not to defend the truth of who he is, when the church takes false doctrine lightly and doesn't contend for truth, we mask him. And instead of holding up the truth, we try to cover it up. And I believe that there's a couple different ways that we do this, or maybe a couple different reasons that we do this. One is that oftentimes we just don't want to be uncomfortable. Some of us will hear someone say something in the fellowship of believers that we know isn't biblical. Maybe they'll say something like, well, God only helps those who help themselves, right? And say it like it's it's actually in the Bible. And we know that that's not actually what the Bible says. And it's a misrepresentation of Jesus who, who has helped so many who are completely unable to help themselves. It's a potentially harmful doctrine can be damaging to people spiritually because then some people will begin to believe that, well, maybe the reason that they're blessed in that way and I'm not blessed in this way is because maybe I'm not measuring up to some type of of standard of, of, of work or effort on my own. So that's why God isn't blessing me the way that I'm asking him to and he's blessing someone else. And then they get into this very insecure relationship with God because they have believed in this false doctrine. And oftentimes we as believers don't contend or contend for and fight against false doctrine, or we don't contend for the truth, I should say, I should say, even though there are often people around us who are not as familiar with the Word of God as we are, and thus they might go on believing what that person has said. And I'm not saying you have to I'm not saying you have to be extremely aggressive. I'm not saying you have to raise your voice. I'm not saying you have to be very argumentative. I'm saying we can say, actually, I don't believe that that's what the Word of God communicates to us. And here's what I would say is more consistent with Scripture. So some of us, we don't challenge false doctrine because it will make us uncomfortable. But there are some of us that don't challenge false doctrine and don't contend for the truth because we don't know the Bible very well. And the truth of the matter is, We often don't challenge false doctrine because we haven't made consistent time in our schedules to study God's word. Some of us are the ones in the room that need to be protected from false doctrine. And in many ways, that's okay and that's perfectly fine. But 
part of the reason that we don't contend for and aren't able to protect others, even though we've been in and around the church and heard God's word taught for years and years and years for many of us. The reason that we aren't ever the one contending for the gospel is because we actually haven't made it a consistent practice in our lives to try to learn from the scriptures. So we are the ones that always have to be protected from false doctrine, but we never are never able to join in in what Jesus is doing in protecting others in the church from, from false teaching. So you're actually never able to help the church live as a buttress and pillar of the truth because we haven't studied the truth. Because we haven't looked into the truth, because we haven't sought to meditate on the word of God continually because we haven't searched out the truth for ourselves with any kind of consistency. And family, if that is you, I want to encourage you as strongly as I know how to commit yourself to using the resources that we have provided for you, specifically and especially for this series in 1 Timothy. Again, you can go to our website, midtown teaching, click on the latest sermon, and click on the resources button that we have there so that you might grow as a student of God's word, that we might live as a pillar and a buttress of the truth, that we would be a church at Midtown Tunas that is able to join God in what he is doing because we are able to represent him as accurately as possible because we know him. We know who he is. We know what he's about. We know what he likes. We know what he doesn't like. We know what he stands for. We know what he doesn't stand for. And we are willing to share that with others. I want to encourage some of you as strongly as I know how, please take advantage of these resources that we are laying out for you that you might grow as a student of the word of God, that we might hold out not a truth, but the truth, Jesus Christ, the living word, and also his written word. And I don't know, maybe previously you thought that focusing on being a student of God's word misses the point which is just loving God and loving people. Maybe you're, you're like those I, I talked about a little bit earlier. You feel like we need to focus more on just loving people and not contend for anything and not fight for any doctrines or anything like that. And if that's true, and because I know that that is true for some of us, but first let me say this. I know that there are some of us and some people who debate doctrine maybe too much right, who focus more on the, this latest doctrine that this theologian has been saying. They focus more on those things and arguing about those things than they focus on actually living as the people of God. I know that there are some who live that way, but at the same time, it's really backwards to take the stance that I don't really care about defending right doctrine because what we really need to do is focus on loving people more. It's backwards. Sometimes we can think that taking hard stances on biblical doctrines is in opposition to loving people, but nothing could actually be farther from the truth. Look back at the verse we read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, the aim of our charge. He's saying, the, the reason I am giving this charge to you, Timothy, to fight against this false doctrine, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He, he's saying, hey, it's not just that right doctrine doesn't stand in the way of love. He's saying that right doctrine is the means that we grow up as the followers of Jesus that love the way that he loves. He's saying that right doctrine and right teaching and, continue, and contending for the faith and fighting against wrong doctrine is actually how we grow. It's actually how we grow in love and look more and more like him. Listen, you can't separate the two. You can't separate love from right doctrine, not true, sincere love. 
from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, first of all, it's never loving to intentionally mask part of who God is. That's never a loving thing to do, no matter how people might respond to it. It's never loving to mask who God is. It's always loving to be a pillar and a buttress of truth and show people who our God really is, even aspects of his character that you think they might not like. And second, as the church, we must defend the truth because it is when we hear and learn and embrace and believe in the truth that we are transformed into the the loving people that God has made us to be. I'll be honest, saints, I get worried about the church at times because I believe if a church leader would have done exactly what Paul did in the exact same way, and said, hey, we need to tell this person to stop talking because their words are false and they're doing damage to the church. I believe a lot of people will be more angry at the person that calls out the person that's doing the false teaching than they are angry at the actual false doctrine that is being taught that is causing harm to the saints. I worry about the church, which is supposed to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. To my Midtown Two Notch family that's watching this, I want you to hear me on this. We can't grow into the type of loving people that join him on his mission if we don't defend right doctrine. We can't be a Jesus-centered family on mission with him if we don't fight against false doctrine and false teachings. We can't know him as we should if we don't know the truth and right doctrine. And we can't show him to others like we should if we don't know and fight for and contend for truth and right doctrine. So my plea for us, as we go through this First Timothy series and beyond, is that as we continue to be Jesus in our family on mission with him, that we will contend and fight for the truth and right doctrine so that as we see in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, so that we can walk in love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let me pray for us. Father, Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being more glorious, more loving, more righteous than anyone else. Thank you for being what we need. Thank you for being what our neighbors need, what our coworkers need, what our families need. And Father, help us to so believe that, that we search you out in your scriptures. We search out the truth of your word, that we embrace it, that we learn about it as much as we can and that we share who you are with the world, including correcting those who are in error concerning your word and who you are. Father, make us a church that that so cares about your people, that so cares about you being made much of, that we don't stand for false doctrine, that we lovingly, humbly correct and encourage people towards truth. Father, we thank you. We thank you for being exactly what we need. We thank you for being who we need you to be. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.